this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of Roman innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Mark Casello, Scott Hibbard, Charles Lipsom, and Ryan Yantis. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Studio at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Our toll-free lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's beyondthebeltway2019 at gmail. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo at D-U-M-O. You can go to our website and see the show at beyondthebeltway.com. And also you can see a past show if you ever missed one. It's always there. And, of course, we are live on Facebook and we are live on YouTube. And, again, we've got a great two hours. We have a lot of uh, major politics to discuss with you this evening. And uh, certainly the events of the last 12 hours have have, uh, given us our our lead story this evening. And that is uh, the dramatic announcement this uh, this morning uh, by the President of the United States in which he talked about a military operation last night which killed the head of ISIS. And we'll be talking about that as the program unfolds this evening. And again, uh, it has really dominated news uh, today and probably for the next week or so. And again, uh, we begin by turning back the clock just a few hours. It was shortly after 9 o'clock Eastern time this morning that the President from the White House delivered a message to the United States and its citizens. The world's number one terrorist leader to justice, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent (coughs) terror organization anywhere in the world. Baghdadi was vicious and violent, and he died in a vicious and violent way as a coward running and crying. I want to thank the soldiers and sailors, airmen and Marines involved in last night's operation. You are the very best there is anywhere in the world. No matter where you go, there is nobody even close. Last night was a great night for the United States and for the world. A brutal killer, one who has caused so much hardship and death, has violently been eliminated. He will never again harm another innocent man, woman, or child. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. The world is now a much safer place. Bruce Dumont back, and Scott Hibbard joins us, making his first visit in a long, long time from DePaul University. Scott, nice to have you with us. Great, nice Um, to see you. How significant is this event? Uh, symbolically very significant, but uh, realistically, it's not going to change much on the ground. Um, he's a figurehead. Uh, the ISIS organization continues to exist underground, and it will continue. Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, frequent guest. Your response? I'm a little more optimistic. I, I think he's more than a figurehead. I think he had operational control. And I think he was a charismatic figure. Eliminating him helps a lot. But when you have an organization this big, decapitating doesn't eliminate it. Mark Casello joins us, also a Democrat. Yes, uh, it's good to see that he's gone. Uh, It's an understatement. Um, But the question is, strategically, what is our long-term plan? A chapter's closed, uh, an important chapter in the, the war on terror. But there's always another chapter that's opening. 
Ryan Yantis, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army, retired. Uh, your reaction? Good evening, Bruce. I'm recalling in 2010, another fellow with the name of al-Baghdadi got uh, eliminated, and there was a lot of uh, chest thumping and high fives, and, and it promised the ushering of a new time. And here we are a couple of years later, and we're doing it all over again. So we're going once around the uh, revolution on this. Cells in, in terrorist organizations and resistance are just that. They're cells, self-contained. Somebody else is going to step up, step in. The timing of this, how important was this uh, to, the, to the politics of the region and, frankly, to the politics of Donald Trump that this happened now in the wake of his decisions in Syria and the relations with Turkey? Well, and that's going to have to play out in... Uh, open source information, but one of the things, the 50 or so soldiers that were pulled out, the military assets were pulled out last week uh, by President Trump, uh, I'm here to tell you 50 soldiers deployed on the ground is significant to us, but it's a small footprint. And reallocating and moving mechanized forces into the center of gravity, which is the oil fields farther east, uh, probably had more import. As far as for timing, it's developed by the intelligence and identifying where the bad guy is on the ground at the time and being able to you know, correlate the forces in to get him. Do you agree with that, Scott? Um, there, well, there, there's, in other words, for those who are suspicious of government and suspicious of Donald Trump, there's no potential wag the dog. No, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. I, I think I'd look at it slightly different. Um, I think that this um, operation succeeded despite the Trump policy, not because of it. And the reporting that's already coming out is uh, they've been uh, looking at this guy for like six weeks or you know several months, and um, and they had to push up the timetable because you know we're drawing down and our um, you know Kurdish allies are being marginalized and you know they're the ones that gave us the intelligence to make this happen. Charles, I want to underscore what Ryan said. I think both of uh, both of you, uh, Scott and and Ryan, said important things. What we needed. Kurdish intelligence on this. That's that's the underlying point that Scott was making, and we got it this time. We hope we can continue to get it. Ryan's point is crucial because it's not only that we're protecting the oil fields. That's out there, and everybody knows that. What our audience may not know is that those oil fields sort of stand in the middle of Syria across the route that Iran wants to take to get all the way to the Mediterranean and into Lebanon and so forth. So having mechanized troops there indicates that we're not there to fight small groups of terrorists. We're there to stop an Iranian army from moving big resources. Is that right, Ryan? It's partially right. It's also taking... Partial Those, credit. I get partial. Well, professor gets partial credit. Well, Surprisingly good. <laughs> it's also to deny the resources and the revenue from the oil fields going to fund ISIS because that was part of the problem. If they have an open checking account that's an oil field, uh, d denying them that is going to hamper much more than al-Baghdadi's death. The president today, uh, he thanked Russia Turkey, Syria, and then he came back later and also uh, uh, he separated the Kurds out. But he said they all helped. They all, make, they all made this happen because they were somehow involved. He was less specific about what the Kurds actually did. But he certainly said that the, uh, the, uh, the helicopters, uh, they flew over all these other countries, and, and those countries uh, did not fire on them. How significant is that? 
Well, uh, my first question is, you know, why, you know, and I don't want to make too much of this, but, you know, why is Russia the first country that's thanked? Um, why, why does President Trump tend to make decisions that favor Russia? And I'm also concerned about this shift away from the Kurdi protecting the Kurdish population, and I'll expand on that. Okay. We'll do that when we come back, 1-800-723-8200. Maybe we'll dig a little bit deeper into the, a little more about the Kurds, because obviously we're hearing a lot about them now. But again, uh, our story and our relationship with them goes very, very deep. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... NHL star Matt Martin for American Humane. I've had my fair share of bruises and injuries. But for many who put their lives on the line every day, it's not always the injuries you can see that hurt the most. Every single day, 184 veterans are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. When medications and therapy don't help, professionally trained service dogs can. American Humane has created a free guide to help veterans obtain these life-saving animals. For help, please go to AmericanHumane.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and you know, as the president was speaking today, I mean, he made the point that uh, as he was watching all this unfold, that it looked like a movie to him. And I think that the narrative that he was using and talking to the American people today almost sounded like he was pitching a movie or he, he had seen a movie. So there was certainly a theatrical way in which the president was describing in great detail. He's been criticized maybe for providing too many details. But Ryan, I want to come back to you because I want to spend a moment just talking about the operational uh, uh, challenges that uh, that took place before uh, uh, Baghdadi uh, blew himself up. Well, getting that many troops and aircraft moved safely over different zones that are being occupied with a lot of weapon systems that can do harm to the aircraft and the occupants at Napa the Earth at night, and Napa the Earth being 400 foot or less. Yeah. So they're terrain hugging in their flight path, and... Now, how high were they? Do you have any idea? Do we know that? I would or? guess anywhere from 50 to 150 feet. Okay. And, and they tend to follow within the folds of the terrain, and that's the tactical flight pattern. I'm not an aviator. I don't play one on TV. I've been in helicopters. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. But that many aircraft traveling on either uh, probably multiple routes and then converging over the target, and there was also a fixed-wing asset that was above them uh, in a direct support role. So that that – orchestration of clearing those airways to get in there on time, on target, all of the elements arriving within seconds of each other, putting the ground force in, security force in, the breach. Uh, it, it's a ballet of... A lot, a lot could go wrong. Yes. How did, they, how did they know about all these tunnels? They seem to have really detailed information. I'm sorry, you don't have a clearance. <laughs> I don't have the clearance, Clarence? <laughs> no, you don't have. And, and that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
our military uh, and other government agencies, plus our friends, allies, spend an awful lot of time looking at the bad guy and developing and watching for patterns. So do they know that there are tunnels when they see piles of dirt out yeah. in the compound? Well, there are ways of figuring that stuff out, whether it's thermal or others. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, yeah, kind of jokingly, but it's very true, a lot, a lot could have gone wrong. Absolutely. Um, that's one of the reasons I was a little surprised that uh, the congressional leadership was not uh, um, not notified, and not because that you want to bring everyone in, but if things do go wrong, you want to have you know the uh, um, ranking and minority members in both House and Senate, uh, ranking and minority members of House Intelligence and um, Senate Armed Services. You, you know you want them in the loop, so that if things do go wrong, you know you've you know your your team but is assembled. What about, a, the, what about assembled. the security issue? The president said that uh, he that, that he didn't he didn't say he didn't trust them. He said he there's a lot of leaks. In, <laughs> well, he didn't. Well, they, they and leak really sad, but, yeah. he, but but the point is he uh, he obviously doesn't, and uh, doesn't he have a reason not to trust them, Mark? Well, you know, and I, I think this is one of the the challenges of our current political discourse is we can hold two two ideas simultaneously in suspension here. So. I can agree that President Trump has been a, a vilified figure since he's been elected, but I can also agree that, yes, maybe he has, he's abused his power. Um, maybe he should have brought in uh, Congress into this You would this have decision. advised him to tell Adam Schiff that uh, we had a secret raid going on, eight helicopters were going in, and Adam Schiff, you would expect, would sit on that overnight. Well, I, I will tell you, um, having worked in government, um, people take their security uh, responsibilities seriously. They take their security clearances seriously. And, um, you know, if you get, um, if you're brought in, of like, you know, it's a very small group of people, this is what's going on. Yeah, you take that very seriously. Yeah, and, I don't uh, and, think he would leak it, but I'll tell you this. He's leaked a lot of stuff, and over the next week or two, you're going to see really serious allegations of leaking about the highest-ranking members of the Obama administration, uh, and there's almost no question that they did leak classified material for political interest. But before we go back... Uh, well, well, you know, well, let's wait till we see some And I'm going to go we... with the real simple rule of classified information. There is a need to know, okay, and need is not a want to know. And given uh, the relationship between the House Intel Committee, which has shown zero interest, uh, in my humble opinion, about the, the whole situation in uh, this area of the world, uh, they've been focused on other things. They didn't have the need to know. They didn't have the interest to know. But and at least the, uh, the congressional leadership in both House and Senate should have been brought in because if things do go badly, then you've, you don't want to make that call that you you know, know, things went really badly. Each of, the, each of the principals there, the president yeah. and Nancy Pelosi, they have each said the other person is Mitch crazy. McConnell, but also Mitch McConnell Nancy, and Chuck Schumer. And, yeah, okay. But you, you know, were not – if you let them in, I think, that it, I think that that's right. I think that it would have been better to tell Nancy Pelosi and to tell Mitch McConnell. Uh, I I think it would be hard to tell Schiff if you don't tell his counterpart in uh, – sure. if you tell his counterpart in the Senate and don't tell him. But I, where I disagree – He told Burr. He said he spoke to Senator Burr. In advance? Yes. Yes, I hadn't heard that. No, he, he said that he spoke to Senator Burr. Okay, who was so here's, what, here's where I disagree uh, with you, Scott. I don't think that you're telling these people in order to get buy-in. 
in order to get shared decision making. This is the president's decision and should be. And if it's if it goes wrong, it's his it's his baby to lose as well. Uh, did you yeah, mean no, something? Well, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I agree. It's his decision to make, but you bring them in so that if things do go wrong, you know, you um, you can have some kind of backup plan. So um, we're all in damage control mode, and you know, we want you. I all don't on think board. they would do Mark. that. I think they want to get him out of office. Well. So. So Nancy Pelosi's third in line of succession, so it would make sense to tell her. But um, circling back, so, so to what Ryan said, he was describing our military capabilities, which uh, no one uh, can dispute, I think. But the broader question, I think, was underscored this week by Ambassador Taylor's uh, testimony, is that that has to be coupled with a strong foreign policy and a strong State Department. Um, and so what is our long-term vision? Uh, where's our diplomacy? We sp- we're speaking all week about the SDF and the courage. You hear these words thrown around on the news. But, but the Kurdish people are a diverse population, 2 million people spread across four different uh, nations uh, without a territory uh, to call their own land expropriated by, um, from them. And now we've taken a position that, that's, that's guaranteeing that they're going to be displaced from their, their, their lands again. Um, and we're allowing Turkey uh, to come in and take territory from the Kurds who had been our allies for a decade. And they, they fought so hard, not because they liked the U.S., but because they were protecting their land. And I think to not couple this, this important military action with a long-term strategic foreign policy um, is just dangerous. That's Ryan, what I every time I come on this show, I talk about the four implements of national yeah. power, diplomacy, information, military, and economic. Yeah. And for the past 20 years, 30 years, all we've done is picked up the golf club called the military and used it for diplomacy and used it for economic, and we need to stop doing that. And that's one of those whole-of-government solutions that uh, the executive and the legislative need to get off their butts and start doing. Amen. That's that's exactly right. Uh, Kevin from Austin, Texas, KLBJ, you're on the air. Go ahead. I was curious uh, what you guys thought of the headline with the Washington Post on the uh, austere religious leader who yes. passed away. <laughs> right. And, and, and the, uh, the blowback on Twitter is absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, talking about how Hitler, a uh, struggling artist and community yeah. <laughs> organizer, has passed away in so forth. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you guys have It was pretty stunning. I know, Charles, you, you, you are especially. I am so glad you called in with that. I, uh, Bruce and I were talking, in fact, the whole panel was, I came in and I said, uh, I, I want you to know that the Washington Post had to change their headline three times. Remember, this is after the New York Times had uh, changed a truthful headline because it appeared a few uh, weeks ago to be too favorable uh, to Trump. I think what you see is uh, uh, newspapers that consider themselves part of the resistance. There's been a blurring of lines in almost all the mainstream media between the news hole, which used to be very separate uh, from the editorial page. The news hole, the old, in the old days, uh, the real problem was protecting the news hole from the advertisers, making sure that the big well, money didn't get in. But now it's just all editorial all the time. I want to find uh, out from the left side of the uh, table how you feel about uh, Ben Dottie uh, being described as as an austere uh, scholar. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think of that, Mark? So. Uh, 
you know, it would be historically inaccurate not to acknowledge that, that he considered himself a religious prophet, but that would not be the foremost line in his obituary. I'm personally, you know, I... Uh, How would you headline it? So, well, head of ISIS. Yeah, the head of ISIS, yeah, a right yeah, terrorist leader. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so, so when a major news operation makes that decision, what does it say about anything else that they write? Well, you know, I, okay, I, I think you, you're drawing a little too much of a conclusion there, but I, I, I totally agree with Kevin. I saw the Twitter feed and Twitter um, yeah. criticism of it. I totally agreed. And, and to me, it was, just, it was just a poorly written headline. It doesn't mean that the rest of the narrative um, that was coming out in the Washington Post, New York Times, whatever, was wrong. It, you know, just, it, was well, a, it was a poor I choice of, of headlines. Some of these so. articles, I don't get to President Trump till the third paragraph. There's a rise to rags to riches story of this austere religious scholar. Uh, where's the beheadings in the first paragraph? Yeah. Well, so right. it's not so much, and, and I'm saying that the, the answer of the panel is, is probably right, but the folks who write the headlines and decide on the order of the paragraphs are not the same folks who write the stories and do the coverage. And in news writing, you start off with the strongest, and, and it's a reverse uh, pyramid going down to the least significant. Those folks who are doing the headlines and making the editorial chops and rearranging stories, they're the ones that are in, in doubt. Okay. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. We will continue, and we'll talk more about the Kurds. And also, I want to get your reaction. How do you feel about uh, uh, this successful raid that uh, led to... Um, uh, Bandadi uh, blowing himself up last night, uh, surrounded by his three children. And again, the, the president painted a very uh, eerie picture. Your reaction to it. Some kids never smile. They're embarrassed by their crooked teeth. They want braces like the other kids, but their families can't afford them. Some may even try to straighten their teeth themselves. That can make everything worse. Luckily, there's Donated Orthodontic Services, a program from the American Association of Orthodontists. It helps provide orthodontic treatment to kids and teens whose families can't afford it. For kids who apply, are approved, and are matched with a volunteer orthodontist, it can be life-changing. Their treatment is in the hands of an expert, a licensed local orthodontic specialist who improves their smiles by correctly aligning teeth and jaws. Some kids think they'll never smile again, but donated orthodontic services may help them smile with confidence. To link to the application and eligibility requirements, visit aaoinfo.org. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we should mention, by the way, I'm sure you have read that uh, uh, President Trump is coming to Chicago uh, tomorrow. He has a big speech to the International Association of Police Chiefs. That will be in McCormick Place, and then he's going to be coming to his hotel, which is literally one block from where we do this program. We can look right out the window, and we can see it. And again, uh, we're expecting uh, huge uh, crowds, uh, protest crowds, 
virtually every uh, uh, organization that you can think of that has opposed the president from the get-go. Uh, they will be surrounding Trump Tower trying to uh, uh, shut the meeting down or keep people from going to the big fundraiser tomorrow night. And uh, the Chicago Teachers Union that, that are on strike, uh, they are going to be there in big force. In fact, uh, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union, they had, a, they had a class in civil disobedience. The teachers in Chicago, the members of the union, they were taught civil disobedience in courses last week. So they're going to sit down in the, in the streets. They're going to stop traveling. They're going to do everything they possibly can. That's what Chicago teachers do when they're on strike. They may, be, they may do it when they're working, too, but we don't know that. But uh, also, <laughs> uh, the police chief, who you would think would be at the International Police Chiefs Association, he's going to be there, but he is going to boycott uh, the President of the United States because he doesn't like the President of the United States. He says that Chicago values are not the President's values. Now, this is Eddie Johnson, who is under investigation right now, because last week they found him sloped over the wheel of his car, uh, and they had to call um, they kind of had to call the uh, paramedics to get over there and wake him up. And uh, he has admitted to the mayor that he was out uh, and had a couple of drinks the night before. And so they some, didn't give him a breathalyzer. And they did not give him a breathalyzer. So you know, if if he was not the chief of police, they would say this guy maybe was you know, sleeping off a stupor, but we don't know that. We can't say that officially. But again, this is this is a Chicago value that if you have clout, you don't have to play by the rules. And we have a police superintendent who, does, who didn't play by the rules. And again, uh, as you know, as you've been following for the last umpteen years, Chicago has a major uh, murder problem. Uh, many of the murders that take place in this city on the south and west side of young innocent people uh, they have not been solved. We have one of the lowest, uh, you know, police, uh, you know, uh, solving of, of murders in the United States. And so he is going to not attend. He's going to show the President of the United States how much he disrespects him and how much he does not uh, feel for him. And again, I want to just get, uh, uh, we're going to introduce everybody in just a moment. But even before we do that, I want to get reaction from Charles Lipsom. Uh, what do you think? Well, of, at least. What do you think of, the, of, of, of Eddie Johnson's? decision to snub the President of the United States? I think it's sad but predictable. I think when he had slumped over in his car, at least he didn't say it was two guys in MAGA hats yes. who, who did it uh, to him. Uh, we've had, uh, it's predictable. And by the way, this we should mention that Eddie yeah. Johnson is the Chicago police chief who was out front uh, in the yes. Jesse Smollett investigation and, and was very critical of Jesse Smollett. So again, there were a lot of people around the country that may have heard that name and you may have been applauding him then because he was taking a very hard line, but this is, this he, is the he's same He's on Eddie thin Johnson. ice with the new mayor. Uh, and he uh, has bad health. And, and uh, he's got an impossible job. One of the reasons that so many of these uh, crimes are not solved is that you see people in the hospital, and and what does every article say? They are not cooperating with police. Why are they not cooperating? Because it was likely a gang fight, or they were assaulted by a gang, and they fear that if they cooperate with police and go back into their neighborhood, they'll be killed. Um, what, what's your take? Well, on? Uh, the president has had the unfortunate uh, tendency to belittle Chicago and belittle other you know cities, Baltimore being one of them. And you know, if you're a, a city official, you you know you. That gets under your skin, and so I, I can understand why he's doing what he's doing. I, I, that's not the path I would have chosen, and um, but 
So uh, the last time President Trump tried to come to Chicago, protesters greeted him over at the University of Illinois campus here and right. uh, sent him packing, and he didn't come. Uh, so yeah, and violence uh, broke out, and and there were there were some uh, scuffles uh, there, and violence them. broke out outside. I was there. It was an organized effort to keep him from speaking. By the way, this is the first time he will visit Chicago since being elected president. But go ahead. Correct. But, uh, you know, to return your opening comments, Bruce, I think there's a connection between the schools and, and the police in Chicago, which is there always seems to be money for more police. But now when the teachers are asking for, for more funding for the schools, they can't find it. We can find $200 million for road changes for the Obama Center but we can't find the money for the, the, the schools. So let's stop investing in the police. Let's start investing in the children. Ryan, what do you uh, think of the uh, decision by the police chief not to show up? I'm very glad to be in Chicago tonight. I'm even more glad that I don't live in Chicago and uh, I get to drive into the city. The uh, decision uh, is bluntly cowardly. He should show up and if he has the cojones, then he stands up and turns his back and he shuns the president and does it publicly. But his longevity in his position relies on the com uh, complicity and support from uh, Mayor Lightfoot yeah. and other elected officials within she's the hierarchy not, of the state. She's not, she's not going to see the president. She's going to the conference, uh, but she is not going to see the president as well. So, you know, uh, if uh, Chicago gets a short shrift on some federal funding, uh, maybe this is one of the reasons, you know. Well, anyway, I think that's, uh, that's, think that's already in the works. But, uh, on that way, happy note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, the murder clearance rate was the was the term yes. I was looking for yeah. for police. Uh, now we're now uh, let's take a moment and let our guests introduce themselves. And we begin tonight with someone who's making a return visit after uh, a long, long time. Scott now. Hibbert. Yeah, so I'm Scott Hibbert, and I uh, teach in the Department of Political Science at DePaul University. I do courses on um, international relations, American foreign policy, and Middle East politics, among other topics. And I lived and worked in Washington, D.C. for about uh, 20 years. I did my doctorate out there. Who did you work for? So I worked for a Democratic senator from Arkansas named Dale Bumpers. I worked okay. for two other House members, Louise Slaughter and uh, Tom McMillan. And then I later worked for the U.S. Institute of Peace. Okay. And uh, let's go with uh, Charles Lipson. I like Dale Bumpers from my neighboring state. I was originally uh, from Mississippi. Uh, I've taught for many years at the University of Chicago, where I do teach political science, mostly international politics, but some issues like core Western values. I'm now an emeritus professor, but I'm uh, a columnist also for Real Clear Politics. I write for them fairly often, and uh, I I sometimes write for other sites, including uh, the American site for the British magazine, The Spectator. And by the way, so I want to just take a moment, because uh, if you are a regular uh, viewer or listener to the show, and you've joined, uh, you've gone to Beyond the Beltway, uh, the Facebook page, uh, if you want to go and you want to go to the Beyond the Beltway fan page, it's a different page. You've got to go in there and ask to be friended, and, and we will friend you, but... All the guests that we have on this program, uh, many of them are very erudite. They do a lot of writing, and uh, we've reached out to uh, virtually all of them now, regardless of whether they're on the left or right. Uh, many of them uh, write, and when we've asked them that if they write for a, a periodical like Rear Clear Politics, we've asked them if we can put their, uh, their scholarly work on the Beyond the Beltway fan page. So we'll invite everyone else who's here this evening. And again, uh, if you go to the Beyond the Beltway fan page, you have to ask for it. You've got to go to the Beyond the Beltway fan page. It just says Beyond the Beltway fans. 
and uh, sign up for that, and uh, you will be able to hear the comments and thoughts of those who uh, you may like or dislike when you see them uh, and watch them on the TV show. Mark Casello. I'm Mark Casello. I'm the uh, Director of English Writing and Professional Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. And uh, I live on the south side of Chicago in the Pullman Historic uh, District, and I'm the founder and president of an organization, the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society, which works, uh, it's a historic preservation advocacy organization trying to protect the only national monument in the state of Illinois. And Ryan Yantis. Good evening, Bruce. I'm Ryan Yantis, uh, Silverleaf Leadership Communication. I'm a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel uh, with 22 and a half years service in 33 countries. I do leadership training and coaching, and I think Bruce invites me on because I have uh, more of a practicum of experience rather than uh, a formal education of experience. So right. delighted to be here. Right. We should also mention, by the way, I want to go back and just button up the subject of uh, uh, of, of the raid that, that forced Bengadi to, uh, uh, to blow himself up, but... Um, were you worried that uh, some of the rhetoric that the president used was maybe a little too graphic or uh, clearly it was intended, I think, to ridicule yeah. and really to, to disseminate the reputation of uh, uh, Ben-Dadi? Yeah, uh, Baghdadi, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it was, very, it was obviously intentional. And they're trying to, you know, uh, denigrate this individual, and, and and I get it. I mean, there are a lot of American uh, strategy has been to demystify ISIS and to get, you know, the word out that this is a really heinous group and uh, countering their propaganda. Um, you know, my only concern is the way in which you know he uses the language. Um, it may play well to a domestic audience. It's not necessarily um, going to play the same way to a foreign audience. And even like uh, the, that letter he wrote to uh, President Erdogan the other week, you know, "Don't be a fool." I mean, that's. That plays well in, in Chicago or in New York real estate. It doesn't play well in international politics. And uh, should we expect some form of uh, reaction from ISIS uh, in, a, in a terrorist way, uh, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, the bad guy always gets a vote. And when we have our worst experiences is when we think that we're ahead in the game and we're not paying attention. Uh, September 10th, 2001, uh, the national focus was on anything but um, al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And he had declared war on us uh, a decade before and was vigorous in pursuing it. And that complacency is what led to such a shock. Mm-hmm. Plus, they had a very well-planned, resourced, and executed yeah. operation. Well, Robert Pape, uh, your colleague at the University of Chicago, who has been a guest on this program a number of times, uh, he has said that whenever uh, ISIS or even uh, al-Qaeda, whenever they were losing on the battlefield, they had to do something dramatic uh, <laughs> in, in, in the area of terrorism just to let people know they were still back in business. So I would assume that uh, if, the, uh, if the top of the oper- oper- uh, operation is gone, uh, we might... But that implies... We've got to be back shortly from Chicago. Hi, I'm Debbie Childress, director of the Grayson County Alliance, a food pantry in rural Kentucky. Thanks to a local farmer, we recently received a $2,500 donation from America's Farmers Grow Communities, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund a philanthropic arm of Bayer. As a result, we expanded a classroom where we teach families about nutrition and personal finance. I encourage all farmers to enroll for a chance to direct a $2,500 donation to a local nonprofit. Visit growcommunities.com.
To prepare for possible telecom outages, create an emergency communications plan. First, check important cell phone contacts and note local non-emergency numbers. Store at least one contact as in case of emergency and make sure that person knows if you have medical issues. Also, make sure everyone in your house knows how to text. Check backup batteries and fully charge all phones and rechargers and sign up to receive mobile alerts. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, the other uh, big story uh, last week, obviously, was uh, the continued uh, testimony that's going on behind closed doors, uh, led by Adam Schiff. And uh, I want to get everybody's reaction. Is, is everybody, I know the Democrats uh, may like the idea. Are you satisfied with the process that's being used to look into the allegations against the president? Uh, I am because we've just lived through the Robert Mueller uh, years of the Robert Mueller probe, and I don't want to go down that road again. I don't think the American people do. Um, so this is operating in the form of a, in a style like a grand jury. They're gathering facts. Uh, I think they'll come to a conclusion fairly quickly because the facts are speaking pretty loudly. Um, and uh, as long as the Democrats can keep this focused and clear to the American people, I think that 50 percent um, number uh, – who are in favor of this think, inquary will Yeah, the one thing I would add is this is just stage one. I mean, there will be open hearings in stage two. And even the, the closed-door sessions, let's, you know, let's keep in mind, there are you know, Republicans there too. So, um, but you know, you're getting depositions. You're, it's important that, um, that um, not everybody – that's not done in an open um, session because you want to make sure that everyone who's testifying and, and giving a deposition you know, does not know what came before them. There will come a time for open hearings, and then there will come a time for actual, you know, a trial if it gets to that. Are you so. bothered by it, Charles? A lot. Um, this is democracy dies in darkness, and those people have been absolutely silent. The here's the problem: everybody knows that um, that there's not enough material. Uh, to convince two-thirds of the Senate to impeach. This is all about the 2020 election. It's all designed to build a portfolio and to and to uh, put mud on Trump. Now, maybe he deserves some of that mud. Maybe yeah, uh, I, I would some push of back it. on that. No, I think, there's there, a lot, I think there's a lot there there. Yeah. Well, for those of you who say it's like a grand jury – um, Schiff would go to jail for leaking grand jury materials then, right, because he comes out and leaks it. The president's lawyers are not allowed to be present, and the Republicans are not allowed to call witnesses. And when they want to even go back in and read the transcripts, they have to have a Democratic staff member Sitting there with them, I guess they have to get a bathroom pass. Yeah, so I well, I would just say, you know, there are over forty uh, Republicans participating in in this, and I I would like to believe that they're just so ethical that they wouldn't leak, and and that they're just waiting until the moment where the, those transcripts come out, and they say, "Aha! Look at all these dis- things disproving William Taylor, and look at uh, the whistleblower was wrong." But those aren't leaking. That's not coming out. We're not hearing that. And I, I don't I don't agree with how Adam Schiff opened up with his characterization of Trump as a mafia figure. All that was silly and and stupid. 
But um, I do think there's something here that needs to be Why is it be done in the Intelligence Committee and not in the Judiciary? Well, if I can interject. Go ahead and then Ryan. Um, the one, if you look at the precedent of both the Clinton and the uh, Nixon impeachment processes, mm-hmm. much of this uh, deposition, much of this initial investigation was done by the Department of Justice. In this instance, uh, uh, the Attorney General Barr has refused to in, you know, open any kind of investigation. So, the, uh, so in this instance, the House is having to do that. So it bothers me. Um, you know, Mr. Schiff is the uh, House Intel Committee chair, uh, and is that the right committee? They should have been paying attention to what's going on in Turkey, Syria, North mm-hmm. Korea, South Korea, China at all, uh, but seems to be fixated on – Something in the rearview mirror from uh, Ukraine about uh, four years ago. So Jerry Nadler really should be in the lead on this? I don't know who, but I don't think it's Mr. Schiff. I'm also very bothered that they're using a SCIF, which is a secure compartmentalized information facility, a classified vault, uh, and going to what Charles was saying about you know democracy dying in the darkness, uh, that's, that's a bad precedent. Um, if you're doing something and you believe in it, just like I said with uh, – the, the police chief, go out and do it in public and, and take a stand. This is well, bold. The, the public stuff will come. And the one thing I, I will add is, uh, particularly the testimony that was released by um, uh, the former ambassador this week, Taylor, uh, Taylor basically what he, what he described was a two-track foreign policy. Mm-hmm. There's the official mm-hmm. policy, and then there's a um, behind-the-scenes policy led by uh, Rudy Giuliani. And when the official policy or official policy makers got in the way, they were removed. That is enormously troubling Deeply on any troubling. number of I've levels. I've been assured by I mean, my friends on the left side of the aisle for about three years that this is the nail that will go into his coffin, and it's getting old. It's well, fully within the president's purview to conduct uh, foreign policy through back channels if he wishes. The question is whether or not it w- uh, there were illicit things that were made. Uh, there was corruption in Ukraine. We were giving aid to Ukraine. They may have been involved in the 2016 election. They didn't investigate it. But it is not appropriate, I, in my opinion, for the President of the United States to ask specifically to name somebody who is a current opponent of his and his son as people to be investigated. If the Justice Department wants to do that and get and the president asks Ukraine, please cooperate with our investigators, I think that's appropriate. So I'm not trying to excuse everything Trump has done, but there's nothing wrong with two-track diplomacy. And the idea that everybody in Washington wants to protect career bureaucrats and say that they uh, uh, are in charge of foreign policy. I think that's wrong. It's a unitary executive branch, and there's only one elected official in it, and that is the president. But, but it also depends on what the intent of the operation is. That I agree with, and that's what I was saying. But it, yeah. nobody elected anybody in the Foreign Service. Nobody elected any ambassador. And William Taylor echoes your point in his testimony, Charles. I want to talk more about uh, the relationship between uh, Ukraine and also uh, uh, the impeachment. Charles, you wrote on that uh, recently. And also, I want to talk about the other investigation that's going on. There's an Inspector General report that's due. And also, there is the uh, report uh, or the investigation, now a criminal investigation, uh, by John Durham uh, at the behest of uh, William Barr. And we're going to talk about uh, where that might go and is that going to even up 
this in the court of public opinion is the investigation into the origins of all of this Russia, Russia, Russia stuff. Is that going to be a big plus for President uh, Trump? Or could that be also a surprise that comes back to bite him in the rear end? Back shortly from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanonorg help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Ah, Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much. We get ready for hour number two. Before we get back to the discussion, I just uh, tip, I don't uh, frequently uh, tout movies on this uh, program, but last night I had a great uh, chance to see the movie Black and Blue. It's a movie about uh, African-American police officers and uh, the issue that they deal with when they go back to their homes and they have to deal with the issue of, of 
you know, being a, a cop and uh, yet having to deal with a lot of the issues that are uh, uh, top of mind with the, with the black community. And uh, it's, it's a very well done movie. I won't give you the ending of it, but again, uh, uh, it's not one that's got, got a lot of hype out there. It's not, you know, Star Wars or anything like that. But again, I think you would enjoy the movie, especially if anyone in your family uh, is either African-American or anyone in your family is a police officer. I think uh, you would enjoy the movie. Uh, let's get back and talk about some other things. Before the break, I said that if, if you are a Trump supporter, the thing that you have been holding on to for a long time is the Inspector General's report that's going to look into the origins of the Russia investigation by Congress, which they've been at almost from, from the get-go. And the other part of that is that a couple of months ago, the Attorney General, he appointed a John Durham, who is the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut, a very well-respected member of, uh, of the Justice Department, has been there for many, many years. Uh, he has given him the responsibility of looking in from, from a Justice Department perspective, looking into uh, uh, this the, the story and the case. And uh, last week, uh, they announced that that had turned into a criminal investigation. So let, let me start with, with, with you, uh, uh, Ryan. Is that, uh, looking into it as a criminal investigation, does that send a signal to you that maybe there are a lot of Trump supporters out there that are going to be happy when this investigation is over? I don't know on the outcome. I don't have a, the crystal ball. And for the record, I didn't vote for President Trump, nor did I vote for uh, Ms. Clinton. Uh, I went with a third option. However, I like the fact that Horowitz and the IG report are coming out, and I am very uh, glad to see that we're moving forward with another phase of this investigation and taking it seriously uh, with Mr. Dunham. Charles Lipsom, your response. You you have been raising the, the specter of uh, For, all kinds of shenanigans and skullduggery right. from the get-go. Let me tell you what bothers me most about it is if if it is shown that there were false agents run that the FBI got the warrants on false basis and all the all, all the rest it's not just that we went down uh, uh, a snipe hunt for two years it's that elements of the United States government in conjunction with the Democratic Party and the nominee in 2016 worked aggressively to prevent the election of someone from the other party. That's the worst-case scenario. Now, I'm not saying that that's been proven, but that's why we need to get to the bottom of it. If it was just an investigation that came up as a dry hole, that would be bad enough. But this involves the highest levels of the DOJ, FBI, and it looks like now the State Department and the national security apparatus in the White House, CIA, and National Intelligence Directorate. Okay. This is really troubling. Scott? So, I, suffice it to say, I have a very different view of this than you do. Okay. Um, if you go back to the 2016 election, there were two investigations going on, one into Hillary Clinton's emails, one uh, into uh, Russian meddling in, um, in the campaign on behalf of the Trump administration or the Trump campaign. Um, one was open and, um, and uh, FBI Director Comey talked about you know, the, the Clinton um, emails. Nothing was said about um, what was going on with the Trump campaign. Um, that only came out after the fact. And if, any, if anyone bothers to read the Mueller report, there was a lot of Russian intrusion into the, into the, uh, into the campaign through social media, through, um, uh, through other means. Um, so 
I have no problem with investing in, in with an IG report looking into this. Sure, great, but I, I but I I don't think there's much there, and I think that the uh, the real issue is that there was an uneven handedness on behalf of the um, um, favoring the Republicans over the um, over the um, uh, Democrats. The last point I'll make about this. The fact that we're already jumping to, or the Department of Justice is jumping to a criminal investigation before we've even gotten the IG report, to me is really troubling, because that's because uh, the you know the, the inter- well, that wouldn't be true uh, if I, I mean in other words, you would expect what they've been doing for several weeks now is checking it for classified information, but Barr would have already had it. Durham would have already had it. Well, They've already done the overseas okay. investigations as well, so I wouldn't say jumping. Well, so if um, – and I think that's where you know, time will tell, but if they are making this a criminal uh, investigation based on something they found, some substance they found, that's one thing. If they're making it a criminal investigation for political reasons. Oh, well, that would be terrible. No, but I, I think, I think that issue. in, in the, in the case the of Barr and Durham, as I understand it, uh, what separates them from the IG's report is they have gone to other nations around the world, including uh, Italy is where I've heard a, a lot of information coming out of. And I don't believe that the inspector general has has gone there because he doesn't have the jurisdiction there. Well, so would I mean wouldn't that I mean if 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 the foreign travels uh, led to some new information, that is the information that I might move it uh, to a criminal if, investigation. If, if Bob Barr had the um, kind of credibility Bill. that an Elliot Richardson had, or sorry, um, yeah, Bill Barr had the uh, credibility that an Elliot Richardson had, I would be fine with that. I think the current attorney general has really demonstrated himself to be uh, the president's lawyer, not the lawyer of the U.S. government. What about Durham? What, what do you think about Durham? Um, Remains to be seen. Straight arrow. So, yeah. yeah, Durham, I'd say, is a lot like William Taylor. That, or that that uh, there's a, a record of credibility. And Robert uh, Mueller. And Robert Mueller too. So, um, but uh, to Scott's point, there has to be some evidence of criminal wrongdoing that's been uncovered to begin this criminal investigation. So I'm very curious about the substance of that. Now, um, but attorney- are Democrat are Demo- can Democrats look at that information and say to themselves and their constituency, you know what? They may have something here, or are they too afraid to do it, or are they too politically locked into their position that they can look and just say, I mean, I had a Democrat here a couple of weeks ago, okay, sure. mm-hmm. a, a professorial Democrat. <laughs> he, he could not say that Joe Biden as the vice president mm-hmm. in charge of Ukraine with his son sitting on, on the board of Burisma, he did not see an appearance of impropriety. of impropriety. Sure. Now, how can that be? Right. Yeah. I, 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 so, so I don't. Yeah. I can't. I can't yes, comprehend but, but, that. So, and you know, as you know, I'm a. I've been a Bernie supporter, and of yes. course, if we go back to to the 2016 election, you had a, a concerted effort to get Bernie out of that primary. That's right. So, um, but uh, conversely, though, Bruce, I'd have to push back and say, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to some some conservative views, but. As conservative politicians come out now, not one can come out other than Pierre Delecto, Mitt Romney, and, and criticize the abuse of power by this president. That's pretty apparent. Adam so, Kinzinger. Um, I, 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 I have. So one thing I would add is like I have. Is I, I am a. I consider myself a social science social scientist more uh, than anything else. And if you show me the facts, yeah, go take the facts where they go. I, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Well, that that that's that's what that's the way I feel. Yeah. I want to I want to know. I really do want to know the truth. And I don't care where the truth ends up, but I want an investigation 
to be fair and to be objective and also uh, not to have, uh, by either side, not to have a campaign to destroy the person who's doing the investigation before he's even finished the investigation, which is why I didn't like some of the things uh, that were said and done about uh, about Mueller, because you know they were yeah. they were besmirching him before uh, his report came out, and then it wasn't much of a deal. Back shortly. I... The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... NHL star Matt Martin for American Humane. I've had my fair share of bruises and injuries. But for many who put their lives on the line every day, it's not always the injuries you can see that hurt the most. Every single day, 184 veterans are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. When medications and therapy don't help, professionally trained service dogs can. American Humane has created a free guide to help veterans obtain these life-saving animals. For help, please go to AmericanHumane.org. Christopher back in Chicago, and uh, Mark, just to put on the record what you just said during the break. Sure. Um, I was just saying that um, as a voter, uh, I'm curious to see what were Trump's business dealings in Russia. Uh, It's sort of like the Kennedy assassination, right? Will we ever know? Um, It's a mystery, but I think it could, uh, you know, perhaps potentially explain some behavior someday. Are you curious about that, Charles? I would actually like to know... um, Trump's dealings are around the world. I would be satisfied with something in the middle, that is to have um, uh, somebody neutral who went through them and kind of reassured me. But uh, Could anybody agree on what a neutral person would look no, like? No, <laughs> I, I understand that. But I, I do think that it's, it's a real – I do think that it's a real problem, and I'll tell you why. I saw Michael Bloomberg uh, a few weeks ago say uh, that uh, she was not a dictator in China, right? This is a guy with over $20 billion in worth, but a global corporation with a lot of business interests, including those in China. He's not going to undercut his business interests. And uh, so it's a reasonable question, and I like the idea that the Trump Organization wants to sell their Washington hotel. I don't think it's a good idea. One thing, uh, there's a very good article in the um, uh, New Republic about a year and a half ago on uh, money laundering uh, and the Trump administration or the Trump uh, businesses. And uh, Deutsche Bank is you know, obviously a major lender of um, you know, to the Trump uh, organization, and they've had you know ties with, and they've actually faced prosecution for money laundering with you know through uh, the, with the um, Russian oligarchs. And there's just a lot of seedy stories of uh, Russian oligarchs being arrested in Trump Towers. Um, but let me say one, let me say one more thing about yeah. that. So, um, but the punchline is yeah. that there's, and this is you know one of the reasons why it'd be great to have you know his tax returns. Yeah, right? you, you know, and just, I know though that we don't allow a local sheriff in Texas to arrest a diplomat going through on speeding charges right. or something. And the reason we don't is that we don't want local officials ultimately interfering in foreign policy. And I really am concerned that 
attorneys general around the country are trying to subpoena tax returns really as a way of getting them out in public as a political operation. I don't think this is a good thing. Well, but, but the oh, flip side of that is just Even though good, I want to see I the tax well, returns. is a matter of good governance. You, um, those, uh, that material should be made available. And, well, and then make they, it a law. Make I it a law. Go, I want to go, go back to, to the question that I asked a little while ago, which is about you know, the, the, the conspiracy that exists you know, amongst the Trump people, and then there's the conspiracies that exist amongst the Clinton side. Uh, could everyone at the table agree that when we look at the 2016 election, there was a conspiracy? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I don't know. But can we agree, based on what we know, does everyone agree that there was some form of conspiracy involved in that campaign? I think well, well, by either in, side. I think well, in, or by both well, sides. In, in, terms of, in terms of Russian intrusion, yeah, I mean, that's right. been proved. Yeah, I mean, it's, if, it's, that's evident. That's well, clear. I would say that the Russian intrusion was regardless of party. That was for Russian infant or interest, and it was for their benefit as they perceived it. And they played both parties uh, very one. well. Yeah, and that's disinformation. Are they still doing that? Uh, let's see. KGB, GRU, we'll throw a bunch of other initials. The Soviets created a good empire with state intelligence, and they had a lot of good uh, – operatives and, and platforms prepared. They've moved it to the, the modern technology. And yes. Now, was there complicity by the uh, DNC and the Clinton campaign to keep Bernie out of uh, the running? Yes. Did Bernie sell out? Yes. Did uh, Trump do something? Probably. But you know what? We had an election. There were results. There was an electoral college that said, this is the results. Here's the president. And now... If Melania Trump somehow became pregnant, I just wonder if that baby in utero would be, you know, impeached just because it's a Trump. <laughs> well, I, I've got a question, you know, and, you know, I, as you know, I'm very progressive, but I just don't feel less swampy. President Trump was elected to drain the swamp. And I just want to know if the listeners out there feel like there's less swamp today. I feel like I am mired in a swamp um, on all sides. I, I just, it doesn't feel, um, trans our government doesn't feel transparent. It doesn't feel responsive to the people. Um, Having lived and worked in the national capital region, not for 20 years, but for three, uh, the folks that are within that beltway, just like the bad guys, and I'm not saying that they are bad guys, they get a vote and they get actions. So whether you call it the deep state, the swamp, or the professional bureaucrats, they all have a, a stake in the fight, and they're going to push back in every way they can. What people mean by the swamp is two different things, actually. One is K Street and all the lobbying. And every time you add details to a bill, those little, uh, those little clauses, those are all paid for. Uh, it's only when you get big sort of across-the-board tax cuts like Reagan did that you can – and then the, they spend the next 30 years adding barnacles to it. The second thing is stripping away uh, the autonomy of a lot of the uh, bureaucracy. That's the essence of progressivism and has been for over a century. Uh, it, it began in a large way under FDR, and it accelerated under LBJ and under uh, Barack Obama. And that's the other element of it. I think Trump has actually hit it both 
But I think that a lot of people don't think the lobbying has been uh, cut back enough. I will say that the big businesses really feel shut out. They really do. Uh, so let me add something to this because um, uh, historically going back to FDR, you know, there was big labor, big, um, big business, and big government. And they were meant to be kind of a check on one another. And what you've seen systematically kind of eroded over the years is big labor and then um, and big government's been kind of restrained. I mean, there's still a big government, but a lot of big government these days is military, not regulation. But the one thing that hasn't been reined in is, is big business. Well, and, big, that, and, that's, and that gets back to yeah. the, that gets back to the K Street stuff that you're talking about. I mean, I worked in yeah, I worked in government, and um, and the, the influence of money in politics is is, is detrimental to the to the you know, to the well being of this country. It's a very serious matter, but most of what. Uh, what affects people day to day are regulations that have been passed by a bureaucrat, not a law. Well, uh, most of it is legal based, but the, let's get back to the Trump administration. I, one thing that I find really troubling is a lot of the, uh, the initiatives that he has passed has been, you know, giveaways to one sector or another, and um, you know, and, and it's, it has not necessarily been to the benefit of um, of the public good. By the way, we have a little news here: uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Katie Hill of uh, California, who's been in the news because of uh, the nude photos that have been sent uh, around the world on the internet, and also because of her uh, alleged affair with her female uh, office manager or office staff. Uh, she has resigned from Congress. She was a Democrat from California, so uh, uh, she will. Uh, she was been obviously. Uh, uh, the focus of a lot of ridicule over the last couple of weeks. As your story became public, uh, she has resigned uh, from the House. And also uh, uh, this past week, we should mention, obviously, uh, there was quite a bit of uh, public notoriety uh, for Elijah Cummings, who passed away, lied in state uh, at the U.S. Capitol uh, from Baltimore, Maryland, uh, one of the leaders of uh, African-American political leadership for many, many years. And again, uh, word broke this afternoon that John Conyers of Detroit, also a longtime member of the Michigan delegation has also passed away. So again, uh, the, the, they they were two of the giants insofar as African American leaders uh, in uh, in uh, in the House. Of course, Conyers had resigned uh, from the House. However, he did pass away today. So there'll be more about him uh, uh, next week. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Tom listening to us in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Go ahead, you're on the air. Yeah, Bruce. I, I want to go back to a couple of other subjects that uh, you were sure. talking about. First of all, as far as the uh, uh, hearings that in terms of impeachment that are in the uh, uh, skit, um, your, your guest in responding said, well, it, uh, it's there because of in the Intelligence Committee because the Attorney General refused to uh, take it any further. Well, well, that doesn't make any sense. It still could have gone through the Judicial Committee of the Congress, and they could have had their staff interview people, and if there was anything sensitive in terms of information, that could have been set on the side. Uh, so I, I don't see the rationale for that, other than that they don't, there's nothing there. Uh, they don't want to tell who the first go, uh, whistleblower is and the second whistleblower and, and, and that whole relationship because it would fall flat on its face. The other point I want to make is that uh, regarding U.S. at the very beginning of the show, why Trump thanked Russia. And, in fact, the Russian military defense is saying that they don't even know anything about it, you know, with, with having a part in it. But I think what Trump is trying to do is, as I mentioned to you probably a year ago, that uh, he sees a possible relationship with Russia and Putin the same way that uh, Roosevelt had with Stalin. 
And if he can get Russia to at least cooperate in such areas as North Korea and in Iran and, and maybe have some stability in the uh, Middle East, even, even if we – I would think even if we went back to the Cold War type situation of dividing up the, uh, the uh, 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 states there uh, in, in the Middle East – uh, it, there will at least be stability. He can't get the Europeans to help us out. Uh, we saw what happened when Egypt got democracy and they voted in the Muslim Brotherhood. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it might be that his approach is, you know, if you can't get the uh, people you want to, to work with you, then you get the people you, that are interested in working and try to work with them. Okay, that's a, good, that's a good question. You asked a good question. Stay on the line. We're going to pause right now. We've got a commercial break coming up, but then when we come back, uh, we'll hear from all of our guests. We'll let them uh, respond to that. 1-800-723-8289 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Kids never smile. They're embarrassed by their crooked teeth. They want braces like the other kids, but their families can't afford them. Some may even try to straighten their teeth themselves. That can make everything worse. Luckily, there's Donated Orthodontic Services, a program from the American Association of Orthodontists. It helps provide orthodontic treatment to kids and teens whose families can't afford it. For kids who apply, are approved, and are matched with a volunteer orthodontist, it can be life-changing. Their treatment is in the hands of an expert, a licensed local orthodontic specialist who improves their smiles by correctly aligning teeth and jaws. Some kids think they'll never smile again, but donated orthodontic services may help them smile with confidence. To link to the application and eligibility requirements, visit aaoinfo.org. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us wherever you are from coast to coast and border to border. And uh, Scott Hibbert from DePaul University who joins us this evening. He is responding to uh, Tom who okay. called from Pennsylvania. Yeah, so thanks for your comments, Tom. Uh, the first thing is, um, you know, this is a, uh, even though Schiff is chairing this uh, broad committee, there are actually three committees that are represented, Judiciary, Intel, and I think Armed Services. I might be wrong with the last one. So there's, you know, there's three different committees. There's a lot of members of Congress, you know, involved in this. It's not just Intel. Second, in regards to... Um, to working with Putin, um, you know, it's I've, I've kind of scratched my head over why this is, you know, what our interest is. I've got my own ideas about what motivates Trump, but I was just you know, forget about motivations. What I'd really focus on is, you know, is the outcome. Um, we are getting our clocks cleaned. Um, at least in the Middle East, we are basically drawing down, 
and and uh, Putin has moved in uh, to that into that you know, void. Um, he was in um, uh, he was in Saudi Arabia last week. Um, he's basically now the power broker in Syria. He's you know got close relations. Erdogan uh, went and visited Israel. him. They got yeah, I mean, and and there's a conscious effort to peel Turkey off of NATO. So um, this does not serve our interests well. The continuing refrain in my community is that Putin has played a very weak hand well, and Trump has played a very strong hand poorly. Now, let's get back to what he said during the campaign. He said repeatedly during the campaign that he would rather make friends with uh, Russia yeah. than, than to be at odds with Russia. Now, this was well stated in the debates. It was stated throughout the campaign. And the American people voted for him. Again, not the majority, but again, en- enough to make him the president of the United States. He also said he wanted to return. He wanted to get out of you know, foreign wars. He wanted to bring the troops home. Well, he's bringing the troops home now. And he says that he's doing it because he wants to keep another campaign promise. So I'm wondering how many people out there are shocked yeah. at what he's doing because he, he said what he was going to do. Mark? Well, you know, that's what he says, and he's good at marketing that. But in reality, we've got more troops flowing into the Middle East. We've got, we're guarding oil fields in Saudi Arabia, um, which is, is startling. And then it's okay to, to try to reach a, a working relationship with Russia, but we're, we're sending $400 million of taxpayer money for lethal assistance on the one hand, and then the other hand, we're ceding territory to Russia. And Where are we control, spending it, the $400 million? Where's um, that? On the defense of Ukraine. Okay. Um, so, okay. So we've got, you know, it's just, again, it comes back to a coherent policy. Okay. I, I'm interested. Where are we ceding territory? So... By by get, allowing Turkey to create the safe zone and displace. Okay, the so Turkey, our NATO ally that we've had relationships with since October of fifty one. Uh, sure. Okay, uh, I just wanted to make sure I was on the right page. Right, we, but but you're you've got but the, t- Turkey and Turkey and the and the U.S. is uh, they're splitting. I mean that we we are having there's a very very. Sharp I don't. Divide. I have not heard anything about Turkey leaving NATO, and, and you know. Erdogan is the elected official in Turkey, and not a lot of people like him. I'm not really a fan of his, but he is not Turkey at all. But our, anyway, our strategic position in the Middle East is um, is on the wane, and even uh, Israel right now is just apoplectic about the fact that um, we've drawn down in Syria. For and is this, here's my point. Is this a majoritarian position? Do a lot of people, when they go to poll the poll you know, in uh, next November, are they going to say, you know what, I don't... I don't want foreign. I don't want our soldiers on foreign soil. I want to end wars. I, you know, I don't care if we're friendly with Russia as long as we're not into a shoot, into a shooting war with them. But look, is look, that a majoritarian or no, is it a foreign policy plays such a minor role in, in determining how people vote? It's really domestic politics that really drives um, voting patterns. So people didn't people didn't well, care I think, about I think, that. I think, uh, I'll tell you, um, my cousins who voted for him, and many of them did. Uh, up in West Michigan, um, you know, they 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 really bought in this idea of drain the swamp. They thought their government was not responsive to them, and they supported him because he was going to drain the swamp and he was going to change the way things are done in, in D.C. Uh, well, in he's real done, quick, he's done that wait, to wait, some extent. He's, he's done the, he's done the latter. He hasn't done the former. He, 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 he did he it in so far. Swamp. He, he well, he's, he's enriched he, different he, elements of the. Swamp. He drained the swamp in so far as the swamp defined by of uh, the deep state. I think he's done that, that. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the key thing to understand about 
uh, the Middle East. There are two key things. One is that Trump has a much narrower view of what our real interests are in the region. And the second is that Trump uh, wants to shift to what he thinks is our major geopolitical rival, which is China. And he's rebuilt the military and especially the Navy to do it. In the Middle East, what he's doing uh, is trying to constrain Iran and do it without, for the most part, using U.S. troops. He's doing it with economic sanctions. It's dramatically different from what President Obama did. He's uh, he's trying to protect, uh, again, without a lot of American involvement, uh, the Saudi oil fields because the world's oil depends on it, but not America's. I think he's got a, a, a view, and I think the Republicans are all split on this. There are multiple viewpoints from Rand Paul on one side, who likes some of this, to uh, Lindsey Graham on the other. I think that Trump has been more with Rand Paul in the Middle East, but more with Lindsey Graham on China. Yeah, that's, I think right. that's, that's, so, that's a good so the, the, the challenge with Syria, and again, not a uh, it, it died in the wall Trump supporter, but how we got into Syria. Uh, we backed our way in, dribs and drabs. It was done uh, from 2010 to 2015, 2016 in the Obama administration. Hey, we're going to go in and help. We're going to train and advise. We're going to dump in money. We're going to, oh, we're going to escalate to bombing. Now we're going to put in ground troops. And then you started to see body bags coming home. Black and this, down. Well, no. no, that's Somalia, but yeah, no, no, no. Okay. But I mean, it was the same problem, right? Mission yeah. creep. But that's the kind of thing uh, from the families that have folks in uniform. Okay, don't mind serving, don't mind taking a risk. But we do declared wars, not these little incidentals. And where is our when controlling? Was the last declared war. It was well, World War Two. Now, actually, there was a joint resolution of Congress on the 18th of September after nine uh, eleven that authorized military force. So Congress did give Bush the, the go-ahead. Okay, but we, we dribbed and drabbed our way in very quietly with the media and both houses of Congress being very complacent in this. And where's it going to end? So, the globalist, it, it's, we cannot fix everything and we should stop trying to fix everybody's problems. Let them fix their own damn problems their own way. Well, that's what the president has said. He said we don't want America. You know, he, that's why he talked about the you know the, the blood stained sand. We right. don't want to keep sending troops over there. But and I think that historically I, that, he was wrong. That's a popular though. position to the with the left. Sure, and this is where I was talking about seeding control. I mean, uh, the the idea is that you know you've got a very complicated uh, populations, uh, ethnic groups, and in in the Middle East, in Syria, in in Iraq. And we, we blew, we dis destabilized the region going back to 2004 and our invasion of Iraq. And, we, you know, and that leads into what Ryan had spoken about, that, that then we got sucked into the broader conflict, the, the Syrian civil war. The Obama administration sat idle kind of as ISIS grew. And so now we're here at, a, at this moment with al-Baghdadi coming back to that. We've got a, a moment here where we can, we can look forward a bit and say, what, what direction are we going to go? And we're, we're choosing the side of, the, of, Turkey, of the Erdogan in Turkey and Bashar al-Assad. And I don't know if that's the place to be where you had, you had, a, Kurdish, you had a Kurdish I, I population trying to create a, an autonomous region that was democratic, um, that was promoting American values in the Middle East in, in the, the way Bush had hoped that this would happen and Cheney had hoped would happen. The people of, of Turkey, uh, of Kurd, the Kurds were doing that. 
uh, on their own, and we we've abandoned them, and and that's a problem. So just if I can kind of clarify a few points here, um, part of the reason why we got involved, with, at least with the Kurds, was uh, in response to the rise of ISIS in 2014. And in lieu of sending in massive um, amounts of troops, we decided to work with the local um, groups on the ground, special forces. We sent special forces and work with them. But it was really our hardware, you know, the, the um, air, air power and whatnot, that, uh, that, cooper- that worked with these local forces on the ground to, you know, to defeat ISIS. Now, the, I think Ryan's actually raising a really important point that Mark was alluding to earlier, that once the mission kind of winds down, it, we've never really clarified why, you know, what, what the mission is going forward. And I think that what, what it right. has been, it's been a holding pattern. That part of the reason why we have 1,000 or 3,000 uh, people embedded in a larger 60,000 know, body of Kurds is we're trying to keep stability. Um, but we don't, you know, I'm all for you know, getting out, but the question is how do you do it? And I think there's a, there's a better process it, for drawing down that doesn't leave instability and chaos and potential uh, mayhem in those. So when I left Africa in 1994, when we went down there to save the Hutus and the Tutsis from themselves in Rwanda, uh, we were literally riding the tiger, and and we were sent in by the Clinton administration, go stop dying in Central Africa. Okay, good luck with that, because that's one thing that they're very, very good at is bad water, genocide, civil war. And basically, we had to get to the point where we said – We've transitioned to local control. They have a handle on things, and we're out. Because that was the original taking a tiny Band-Aid and putting it on a sucking chest wound that we could never have healed. And there are some places in the world, unfortunately, that are giant Band-Aid sucking chest wound categories that you can't heal. There are real problems in defining what American national interests are, given that we have so much power and so many global interests. And the problem for serious uh, foreign policy people, uh, like those sitting around the table, is to try to figure out what our most important interests are and how much in blood and treasure we're willing to spend for them. And I must say that one of the troubling aspects of modern politics is that Democrats have pulled back from funding the military uh, and that Republicans are now deeply uh, split on these issues and that President Trump, who I think has some good ideas, is also extremely erratic in the way that he pursues them. Okay, we've got to pause. 1-800-723-8229. One more segment coming up. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Debbie Childress, director of the Grayson County Alliance, a food pantry in rural Kentucky. Thanks to a local farmer, we recently received a $2,500 donation from America's Farmers Grow Communities, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. As a result, we expanded a classroom where we teach families about nutrition and personal finance. I encourage all farmers to enroll for a chance to direct a $2,500 donation to a local nonprofit. Visit growcommunities.com. To prepare for possible telecom outages, create an emergency communications plan. First, check important cell phone contacts and note local non-emergency numbers. Store at least one contact as in case of emergency and make sure that person knows if you have medical issues. Also, make sure everyone in your house knows how to text. Check backup batteries and fully charge all phones and rechargers and sign up to receive mobile alerts. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. 
Bruce Dumont Beck, what are you going to say if the Democrats don't win? If the Democrats don't win the next election, let's look at where the parties are now. The Trump might get mad and, and, and be revengeful. <laughs> you think? <laughs> uh, in the America of the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, there was a third party, and that was Southern Democrats. There were liberal Republicans. There were conservative Democrats. But there were enough conservative Democrats that they were almost a third party, right? What happened during the Obama years, the, those all those some of Southern Democrats are now Republicans. The, what happened during the Obama years was a gutting out of not just a whole generation, but basically a whole generation of middle-of-the-road Democrats. And it left uh, uh, the Democrats with a very peculiar uh, coalition in their party. It's the coastal elites... Uh, uh, of course, uh, dwindling unions and uh, minorities basically in big cities, and I would say mostly African-American minorities in big cities. And, uh, and the country is so deeply divided now uh, that uh, the Republicans, they hate the Democrats. The Democrats hate the Republicans. We hear charges of traitorism all the time. The media has been enlisted and now think they've that sides. Well, they've taken sides. It's a, it, there's no trust in institutions. It's a very grave situation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, this show is a rarity in our society where we have a dialogue <laughs> amongst this kind of group of people. And, and where, yeah. where are our public spaces anymore? You know, our libraries are closed down. We don't we don't have public squares anymore. We're shopping online. So we're not we're not encountering each other. We're, we're not engaging. And then the media is just inflaming the division with with hype oh, i mean and social media and too. social yeah. media too yeah. and so they're looking um, you know, they're looking for clicks but by I, the way I, I just i just want to say one thing and then then i'll go to you uh, you made the comment about the, one of the things that's unique about Beyond the Beltway is that we're able to bring people who have very strong opinions on opposite sides and we bring them and we have a discussion there's something that i want to share with the audience and i'm not going to name names but there's a growing list of people who you've seen on this program who won't do the show again because they have to be on with someone else who they disagree with. And again, it's happened with some Republicans. It's happened with some Democrats. And again, I have said to them is, you know, we're not, we're not changing our rules because of Good your you. unwillingness for you. or your cowardice in, in coming on and defending your position. But, and, I, and by the way, I'll keep asking them because I consider them friends. I consider what they bring to this table uh, during, you know, periodically when they're on the program to be very valuable things. But I, I just Good thank you very much because that's why we are here. And we you don't really allow here. food fights either. There, there are well, too they, many they, of those. Sometimes they turn into that, but, <laughs> I, don't, but, but no, but I don't. But no, the <laughs> there are a lot of food fights on TV, and those are not illuminating either. No, right. Go ahead. So, um, a lot of the polarization goes back decades, and much of it um, can be laid at the at a number of uh, political operatives' feet. Um, uh, Nixon ran the Southern strategy, as you know. Um, um, I'm blanking on uh, George H.W. Bush's campaign manager. Uh, guy, yeah. Uh, 
He uh, died young. Yeah, Lee Atwater. Lee Atwater. Carl yeah. uh, Rove's mentor. He's you know they ran dirty campaigns. But there's a structural campaigns. feature here. Let me let me go to well, the structure. Not not like Lee Atwater. But let me go to the structural feature. Yeah. We have so many districts that are solid. D or solid yeah. R, yeah. that if you're Jerry Nadler, yeah. who's going to potentially run against you? The point, it's going to be some AOC person. Yeah. If you don't want to be yeah. outmaneuvered on your left if you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican, they saw what happened. Look, at you, you had the number two person in the House lose his seat yeah. to a uh, to a Tea Party nobody. And so that has moved the two parties much further away from each yeah, other. No, you're right. I want to go back. Gerrymandering as well. Yeah. If we could, one thing that would fix everything is get rid of gerrymandering. But, but also, yeah. uh, just to go back to your point, I mean, you, you, you've mentioned you're for Bernie Sanders. You're still for Bernie, right? Yes. You have not been uh, seduced yeah, by. My, uh, I chipped Ellen. in my $27. Donation. Okay, by uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Uh, so that you were very happy when AOC endorsed him. Yeah, I thought that was a good endorsement. Uh, now, you know, the Ilhan Omar was going to come with some baggage, but, you know, for, for those who, who understand Ilhan Omar's perspective, it's a good endorsement for Bernie. And does, and does her perspective represent a good debate to have within the Democratic Party? I, I think, you know, anything we can do to have a, a deeper discussion about other cultures, other points of view in this society, and really educate each other is better, and we can have legitimate disagreements about the, the rhetoric. And Does that include Tulsi Gabbard? Should she be allowed to be part of, of, of the debates where she describes her position uh, and relationship with Assad uh, as opposed to just being described as an apologist for Assad? Correct. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard's a voice that needs to be heard the same way Amy Klobuchar. I don't, I don't agree with all these people, but let's have a dialogue about these policies and let's find something that works. And by the way, I like Amy Klobuchar. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's okay. Is uh, she your candidate? Uh, at the she I like Michael Bennett. I like uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar. I'm, I'm a centrist. You're the yeah, kiss of death for I these know. candidates. <laughs> <laughs> but you agree she has not taken off yet? Oh no, okay. I think she's good. I think she's hovering in there still. She's, I think she's hanging in there, yeah. Okay. All right. On that note, I want to thank uh, Scott Hibbert from DePaul University. Thank you very much for being with us. And also Mark Casello from Calumet College of St. Joseph. Exactly. Chairman right. of the uh, English Department. Congratulations on your uh, ascension to that position of power and influence in academia. Charles Upson from the University of Chicago. Retired. Nice to have you with us. Or emeritus, I guess is the best way to say it. Right with and, merit. And, and, <laughs> And also Ryan Yantis, a lieutenant colonel in uh, the U.S. Army, and again with uh, uh, Silver uh, Silverleaf, Silverleaf, leadership which is a community. leadership uh, organization. And uh, we thank you all for joining us tonight. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week at the same time, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.